Everybody talks about firsts in drum corps. Let's talk about lasts for a second. There are certain lasts that drum corps fans have come to expect. For instance, the core song will be the last thing played at an encore. Troopers drum majors will probably be last if they're called front and center. And the blue coats will always be last to reveal their show. Well, guess what? They're going to do it right here, right now, in an exclusive for the DCI News Network and Field Pass. From the parking lot. To the tunnel. To the 50-yard line. On the field. This is your Field Pass with DCI's Dan Potter. Welcome to an exclusive edition of the DCI News Network. At least it's exclusive for a short amount of time, about the next hour or so, and we welcome in the program coordinator of the Blue Coats, Dean Westman. Hey, Dean. Hey, how you doing, my friend? I have waited long enough, and so have the Drum Corps fans. What is Blue Coats 2019 production? Well, it is called the Blue Coats, and that is, yeah, I know, mind-blowing. Really what it is, is we're going to be exploring something we have wanted to do for a long time, and that is the Beatles, the music of the Beatles. Um, and the title, the Blue Coats title, is simply just a nod to the, the uh, their eponymous 1968 album, the White Album, which really, you know, that was just a self-title. I, I was all proud of myself. Genevieve taught me the word eponymous. It's like a great SAT word <laughs> that the orchestra kids are always trying to teach me. But it was there, that was that self-titled album, right? The Beatles and uh, the fans. We named it the White Album, and so kind of played off of that uh, as far as the show title. But it is going to be uh, a pretty cool exploration of four musicians and what they did to change our culture. If you think about it, I mean, we're what 50, 60 years removed now from from the Beatles, and if you put if you you can now step back and look at it the way we would look at. We could have a conversation like this about Leonard Bernstein or Aaron Copeland or several, right? When the, the more time there is between, the more you can see it with uh, a different perspective. And, and I think the way we see it, and probably a lot of people do, is a world that was kind of in black and white before the Beatles and went into vibrant color after them. And musically, a world that was very monophonic before them and think about the colors musically they opened our minds and, and eyes and hearts to and, and explored through their their brief time together. So we're going down that road. The long and winding road. Yeah. Will, will the source music be strictly from the White Album or will it be from no. all of the Beatles it, catalog? Yeah, we're going to cover a little bit uh, of all of it. And, uh, you know, you know Doug Thrower pretty well. And for anybody else who, who knows Doug, and it's an exciting year for Doug because he's going into the the DCI Hall of Fame this year, but he's also like our activities, resident Beatles, like professor. And you know, what's funny, Dan, I was thinking about that. I was talking to John Vanderkoff today and we are going through kind of the list of effects that I think a lot of fans would think like, wow, that's a cool signature, either musical effect or visual aesthetic. And so many of those, I'm talking about in like downside up, tilt. We're, we're talking pitch bend type stuff. Those usually start with some Doug Thrower Beatles story. Hmm. Like, hey, if you, if you look at the 228 mark on the B side of this album, so many of our ideas come from Professor Thrower and his encyclopedic knowledge of the Beatles. And this is a show we've, we knew we were going to go down this road as early as about this time last year. Maybe, maybe not quite, but I remember, I remember going to Texas last year 
And the, and we knew we wanted to do this because we felt like, oh, we talk about it all the time and we use their references all the time. Let's do it. Let's go. Visually, what are we going to see? That's the part I'm, I'm particularly excited about. Uh, when you take Jim Moore choreography, John's overall steering the, you know, the vision of it, the set design from Michael Rayford and then the costume design from Gregory Lagola, because they influenced fashion as well. So it's not, I mean, it's a, there's a cosmic look to it for sure. Um, it's not a, a period look. It's inspired by that, um, but it's got a real 21st century take to it, whether it's the scenic design uh, or what you're going to see, you know, you'll, you, you'll see an element in the front ensemble that will uh, be very Sergeant Peppers. Um, and, uh, and it, I guess cosmic's the best word I can come up with. It, 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 you know, it, it's a trip to look at it and it feels very now, but you can certainly get that what it, what it's inspired by. And you'll see it how we transform in a sense from uh, black and white, uh, you know, to color. And, and they even, there's so many cool things. Can I give you a couple of examples? Oh, please. Probably like, yeah, drive into the theater and whatever. Um, part of our, our stage design, you'll see a bunch of holes uh, on the field. Some are three-dimensional, some are two-dimensional, but that's a playoff of Yellow Submarine, the sea of holes, the idea of this infinite curiosity if you remember you know you have to be a certain age i think to remember that scene out of uh the movie but we play off of that um here's a great choreographic one that i don't know if will, if it will ever be caught by anybody other than me but like i got goosebumps when i saw it um when we play blackbird um when you listen to the, when you listen to the original blackbird you hear almost like a metronome clicking throughout the entire tune well that was paul tapping his foot Huh. And he didn't want that removed from the take. He wanted that on there. Well, Jim Moore played to that. So not only did we keep that quality, but you'll see choreography underneath the beautiful Blackbird solo and soloist, where you'll see brass players just gently doing a choreographic foot tap, alluding to that subtle little moment that he wanted to capture. And so uh, it, it's cool. And then another one other thing I'll say from a choreographic and a costuming and kind of the, the synergy of all of it is you'll occasionally see some, for lack of a better term, spirit guides that kind of lead us into each different part of the show. We're trying to kind of give like the, the concert that in a lot of ways, you know, they stopped touring for a lot of reasons, right? The crowds were insane. Technology didn't allow them to do what they were hearing in their minds in at Shea Stadium or wherever, you know, they're just, they, they're, there were limitations beyond technology, that uh, we wanted to take our take and say, well, here's what some of this music, if we could have done it live, here, here's how it could be explored. So you'll see, For I'll give you two examples of these kind of spirit guides. When we get into Eleanor Rigby, look on one of uh, the, the set pieces for a beautiful guard member with this parasol, just calmly walking through the energy of the drill. When we play Blackbird, which, you know, Paul wrote Blackbird as kind of a, he was so moved by the story of the Little Rock Nine, right? The, the, little, the integration of the students in Little Rock. And that's what that song is. Uh, back in the 60s in England, a girl was a bird. That, that was a term, like, a, you know, a, you would say a bird. So Black Bird, that was his uh, way of expressing in song the emotion he felt of what those kids were going through at the time. And our soloist, it, it, beautiful costuming, and we'll have a birdcage that she'll be dancing with. So there's always that. There's that one thing that you can kind of grab, and you'll even see a Sergeant Pepper character that uh, that will will show up here and there. 
again, kind of just to help us capture the essence, the zeitgeist of what they were and bring it in a, in a 2019 way. Blue coats now have reliably come to be known as the core that will be last to reveal mm-hmm. their show. Okay. You're here on the DCI News Network and on Field Pass. You're getting some pub for being last. Is that why? Why do you guys do this? Oh, I, yeah, I wish we were that clever. You know me well enough to know I'm not that smart. Um, it's to it's to live in the creative bubble with the kids as long as we can in an effort to get as much right as we can by opening day. Um, let me give you a, a great example. Uh, Most people probably don't know this. I'm airing some dirty laundry, but the Downside Up show, uh, Great Gig in the Sky was like ballad number three. Literally, like uh, at the April camp, John Vanderkoff wrote an original that we tried that we were playing with him at the late April camp. And we got together and and we're like, "Mm, it's not, that's not. And John was the first to say it's not capturing the spirit of what we want that moment to be. And it was in May. It was about move-ins. Or, you know, early May when we landed on that. And, you know, does that mean we didn't have our act together? I don't know. I mean, if we would have put out, here's our repertoire, and then now we're backtracking on it, right? Because because we get there, and in reality, as opposed to hearing things in the winter in the virtual world, you know, these virtual MP3s, uh, when you get there, you just want it to be the best. So it's really just to create a kind of a cone of, of, of silence <laughs> so that we can... Uh, spend every minute getting it right because no matter what anybody tells you it's it's harder to change make changes in your show even the plan ones once the season starts and you're on the road it just is the facilities change day to day the weather changes day to day um so we try to get you know and i think we come out pretty strong every year we try to come out really strong every year and i think part of that is again we just can do our thing and not worry about kind of like when you and I marched. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we'd make it to the middle of the season and throw out the last half of the show and start over right. again when we marched. Yep. So right. I, I get it. And I, and I actually, as you were explaining that, I think there might be a core or two who wish they had waited until a little bit later to announce their show this year and maybe considered some other factors first. So I, that, that strategy does make sense. Dean, you mentioned that Doug Thrower has been an advocate for this show and a lot of what fans have seen from blue coats in recent years can be traced back to the Beatles influence. Had he been pushing for doing an all Beatles show for some time? I don't know if he's been pushing to do the Beatles, but he, he certainly didn't argue when we, when we, you know, started talking about like, we want to go down this road. One of the, there's, there's so many Doug thrower stories when it comes to the Beatles, that, that could be an entire episode in itself, but <laughs> one that really helped inspire this show. And you're going to see it in the costume. And I think you're going to feel it in the energy of, of the way we approach it is he told us a story about kind of the early days of the Beatles. This is before I want to hold your hand. It hit in America where John was questioning, is this going to happen? Are, are we going to make it? And, and Brian Epstein, their manager said, you know, you are going to make it. And you guys have become something so special that the sum of the parts, right. You know, and he, kind of, he, he used the analogy to, when he was taught, he was kind of giving John Lennon a pep talk. And he really was saying, you're the mind and Paul is the heart and George is the soul. And John asked, what's Ringo? And he said, he's the flesh and blood that keeps all of this together. And you'll see us play off of that 
we at the beginning of our show, we present a, a, a little vignette of I Want to Hold Your Hand, but in a really unique, lyrical, melancholy way. And you'll see in the even in the costuming, you'll see like a little heart. You know, we we try to allude to mind, body, soul, heart with, within that um, just because we thought that what a cool way to kind of encapsulate what each of them brought to to the table collaboratively. Something else that you mentioned a moment ago that that uh, stuck with me is, you know, a lot of this uh, cultural references we will get being of our generation. What about the 21-year-olds in the blue coats? Uh, have they had to learn a lot about the Beatles? Yeah, we have. Uh, you know, the, uh, we have a couple ins. It's, it's not just Doug. Also, Aaron Beck, who's our audio systems uh, designer. Well, he was part of that Cirque show that, open in Vegas, working with uh, Niles Martin, you know, George Martin, Sir George Martin's son. Right. Uh, that's in Aaron's, like, contact book list. That freaks me out. Wow. You know, my contacts are you. Uh, <laughs> hey. <laughs> no, I'm proud to have it. You have a block. He's got George Martin's son. And, uh, yeah, it, it, so we, there's, there's those direct connections where Aaron can talk to those kids about a direct experience he had. Um, and then you better believe we've shown every kind of cool documentary and, and got you. George Martin once said, every generation finds the Beatles. I have something, I'm going to paraphrase, but he said, every generation finds the Beatles in their own time and in their own way. And I think hopefully uh, that's what happens here, because I think there are going to be that, that, that element of younger student that they might know the big stuff, but maybe not she's so heavy or some of, you know, some of the other really cool things we're doing, but we're gonna help them find them. Just like who knew uh, Vienna Tang before we played him of Axiom uh, or Tiande Braxton, you know, maybe maybe it's time with the younger students to, to reintroduce them into, you know, a group that changed the world. Yeah, thank you, scientist. There's another yeah. There is something else unique sonically that happens, and I'm assuming it's in the, uh, the pre-show, that you shared with me a couple of weeks ago, and it involves you. Your full-time job is director of the orchestra at Avon High School outside of Indianapolis. Your Avon Orchestra members are part of this show. Explain how. Yeah, we uh, Matt Jordan, our uh, our sound designer, drove up from uh, Nashville, and it was actually the two days after our state championship performance. And that day, we had a performance downtown at the Hilbert Circle Theater, the home of the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra. You, you and I have seen the ISO together there, that beautiful hall. So you'd think we'd be rehearsing hardcore for this big concert. Now we have a recording studio set up in the orchestra room and we recorded the, what, what would one would consider the cacophony from A Day in the Life uh, in the Sgt. Pepper's album. And the kids, I sent it to you, they hit it. See, I'm not totally secret. I, if you ever want to know what we're doing, just you got to shake it out of Dan Potter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, we recorded it and there was, we didn't put anything, uh, it was a blank page other than the notes. And you, you know, you were asking like, how do we know 21 year olds are gonna get this? So all it was was the and then it, and then it becomes anarchy. And uh, we finished the first take, and I looked back at, at Matt Jordan to see how we did. 
and he gave the thumbs up. And then my principal second violinist, Jenna, who's about to go be an engineering major at Purdue, she goes, man, that sounds exactly like a day in the life by the Beatles. <laughs> so there blew that. You know, this is like the Avon Orchestra has known about this since uh, May, May 10th. Uh, and so, but they didn't leak it because, well, apparently they're not following drum corps as closely as I am. Where does that sample happen at? Is it in the pre-show? Yeah, we don't really have a pre-show uh, per se. It'll be kind of a, a sound check you'll hear. And then once it goes, the show uh, goes and you will hear it there and you're, you're going to hear it. It, it. They will they will appear a few times as the show uh, develops. But so many times we criticize when you, you, you know, just we take electronics and we just heap it into this huge basket. Uh, like it's all, you know, like I'm, we're hiring the, the L.A. Phil to do something. But these are real kids doing something real and being part of it. And they have friends and they have former Avon Symphony members that are in, in the blue coats now. Um, and so that was a really neat little uh, moment for, for me personally and for my kids. I know it will be really cool when they actually see like, oh, wow, this, it was this. Wow. Yeah. I so, want to be around them when they see it live and, and feel like they're part of it right there yeah, in the stadium. Well, I'm, I'm sure they will be at uh, finals for, for sure. Absolutely. All right. So, Dean, we do this thing a la uh, the actor's studio called oh. the Box 5 Deep Dive. Five questions. So we really get to know Dean Westman here. All right. Mr. Lipton, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Box 5, question number one. What is your favorite drum corps show of all time? 87 Santa Clara. No hesitation at all. Absolutely. 87 Santa Clara. What's the best meal you've ever eaten? Period or in drum corps? Period. Um... I would say uh, my wife and I went to Victorian Alberts inside the Grand Floridian uh, at Disney. It was our 20th anniversary, and it was also right after the Blue Coats uh, had won in 2016, and that was our uh, gift to ourselves. And and when we sat down, there was a harpist next to us, and within the first five minutes, they played Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Remember, I marched and taught in the Cavaliers, and, and we they this is just what she goes on the set list. And then she played uh, Send in the Clowns. Used to write for Santa Clara right after that. I looked at my wife and I said, if, if, the, if the Harper West is one right now, I'm out of here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Question number three. What's your biggest pet peeve when it comes to marching music? Oh, negativity. It's really not just the, I, I wish people, this is one thing I like about you and me, if I can say, because you asked. I like that you and I, I really believe that we are the biggest fans of everyone. You know what I mean? Like, that's, I, that's what I say about you. I always tell you, I think you're such a great ambassador for this activity because, as you know, as Tim Lotzenizer says, you, you kind of wish we could all be in first place for being here in the first place. And uh, so I wish the negativity, I know that's Pollyanna of me to, to, to be like that, but when you see some of the vitriol that goes around, whether it's a, whatever the, 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 the topic du jour is. The outrage uh, of the day. I, yeah, I want, I want the members to know, at least to hear from me. I don't care what, you, what core you are in. You will see if I'm there. I am on the sideline. You and I do this a lot together. We like to stand together at shows. And it doesn't matter who's on. I like watching young people involved in this activity. And uh, that's all I need out of it. If somebody wins and somebody doesn't. And so I wish we could all, you know, maybe the Beatles will help us get along better. All you need is love. And question number four, which is my favorite, because I don't know this about you. If you could pick some other profession to do full time, what would it be? Hmm. And it can't be music related at all? 
Because I would love to be like the conductor of the New York Philharmonic, but you know, that's, that's, a, that's a little too close. Uh, yeah. Um, gosh, I talk about this with my students a lot, but the way I talk about it is thank goodness I had this because I, uh, I'd be a mime. A mime. <laughs> I would pay money yeah. to see I that. I mean, honestly, if I had to go do something, I, I just know if I had to do something else, it would be at Disney World. And, and I probably, Harloff and I say, like, we could be third shift shoveling, you know, horse crap and we'd be good. Um, so may, maybe it's that. Just anything at Disney and, and I'll take that as my other job. Yeah. I was going to say Imagineer would be perfect for you. Oh, sure. Yeah. All right. Last question. And this is distinct from your favorite drum corps show. What's your okay. favorite drum corps memory? Hmm. A lot there. Uh, it, okay. Uh, so in, I, in 2009, when that's when Ralph Hardiman and me and Daniel Wiles, Mitch Rogers went, we got involved with the troopers in 2008, got them back in the semifinals that year for the first time in a long stretch. And then 20, 2009 was the first time they had made finals and I think it was 23 years. Uh, and it's been, that was 10 years ago this year. Hearing Brant Crocker announce them taking the field, right? You think I should talk about like a championship or a whatever, or a Vanguard or a Cadets or a, a Blue Coats or a Cavaliers story. But hearing Brant Crocker, I get, I get goosebumps. Like, you know, after a 23 year absence from Casper, look at, look at Dan Fat. That, <laughs> that and that, and that gets it back to what I say about the kids, because we finished 12th. We won. You know what I mean? Right. Like that, when you put your energy there. So, yeah, that, that's probably has to be my number one was hearing that iconic voice say those words to that drum corps. And I'm going to ask you the other number five question, the one that has stumped everybody else so far. And that's why we threw in that softball. Okay. It, Dean Westman, you've been given unlimited money. You're going to start a drum corps. What do you name it? <laughs> um, I would say uh, I would probably try to come up. You know, Doug Thrower is not the first Canadian to go into the DCI Hall of Fame. He's the third. But he is the first alumni alumnus of the Peterborough Crescendos wow. to go into the DCI Hall of Fame. So I would want to maybe play off of I don't know, maybe mine will be the day crescendos. <laughs> How about the, the glissandos? Yeah, it would be something cooler. I'd find some string term like colenio just to mess with people who like, you know, who don't want to progress at all. I'd find out specifically the colenios. Look it up. That means with stick. So it is percussive. It's it's when you're hitting your violin with a stick like the beginning of Mars from the planets. My drum corps is called colenio. I'm so glad we went there. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Dean. Yep. Yeah.